Hi, everybody. My name is Amy R. Brooks, the host of Shareable. And today I have a special guest, Jeff Gibbard. And I have a lot of questions for Jeff, so we're going to jump right in. Jeff, are you ready? I am 100% ready. <laughs> Good, because we're doing this. Jeff, I am fascinated by the fact that you are writing a book, and I want to know why. In the midst of all the technology and all the platforms, all the ways that you reach people, why the heck would you want to go back to the old snoozer, the book? It's a good question. I think there's a couple um, kind of smart, safe reasons to do it. And then there's some ego reasons. Uh, and then I just think from a, a format perspective, uh, there, there's something about a book. So I'll go through them. So the smart and safe thing is that once you write a book, you are an author and you have the ability to take that on a speaking tour. And, you know, nobody can ever take it away from you that you are an author at that point. Just just doing it, it, um, it opens up doors for you, uh, that you couldn't have otherwise. So that's kind of the smart and safe. Mm -hmm. The, um, the kind of ego side of it is that, um, one, I want to be an author. Uh, and I, I think for me, it's a challenge kind of climbing the mountain of writing a book and getting through all of that, um, I think is, is like a, a massive challenge. And I think I have something to say on the subject. The book is on leadership and, there's there's a tremendous helping of fear around writing this book and fraud syndrome and all that. Like who am I mm -hmm. to talk about leadership? But I also think that I have pulled together a tremendous amount of information and life experiences and observations about great leaders that I think – it's my job to pass on so that maybe we can make business not such a shitty thing. Uh, and then the final thing, the format, I, I think there's still something about books that is unlike anything else. And as somebody who has discovered a love of reading in the last – I'm going to go with five years um, because I didn't really like reading before that. And, and now I've gone from liking reading to loving reading and I just think there's something about a book that there's – there's not a media format that is comparable to it. You can't read a hundred blog posts and get the same thing you get out of a book. You can't listen to podcasts and get the same thing out of a book. A book is just this object of cover to cover insight that there's, there's nothing comparable to. I wish I could contradict you, but I agree with that so enthusiastically. And I also like the idea that no one can take it away from you because I that was one of the motivating things behind when I wrote my book. I thought, you know, I don't care if it's good or bad. I do. But um, once you're an author, you're never not an author for the rest of your life. Exactly. And it, and only a small number of people can say that, you know, it because it is yeah. not easy to write this book. Mm -mm. I compare it to college a lot, too, because sometimes um, part of it is getting through it. You know, the idea that you you get into it and you start it and then the slog of it and then accomplishing it and then you have that degree and no one can take it away from you. Like, there's something very similar. I also compare it to giving birth and how you don't know what you're doing. And the fraud syndrome is very real for a woman who's been recently knocked up or impregnated, depending on your terminology. And the idea that like, I'm going to be a mother is very foreign. And then once you have the baby, you might look at the baby and you might look at your book and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is real. This is really happening. But at some point every mother, I would say that darn near all of them say, I'm a mom. Like they claim that and they own it and they know that to be true. And if people can get through the fraud syndrome, like you're talking about and get to the point where they can own it, it's a pretty good thing. It just becomes another aspect of your human experience. It's another part of your 
persona. Yeah, absolutely. So. I'm friends with uh, a woman named Anne Shabani who wrote a book called How to Eat the Elephant, and it's a book mm. about writing a book. And in mm-hmm. it, there, you know, I I read her book, and uh, in it, there's something I took from it that I think is probably the most important thing I took from it, which is write your first shitty draft. And yes. and. That that exact language of writing your like your first draft is going to be shitty. Just write yeah. it. Just get it done, and then you start editing it and making it better and better and better. So I've been trying to just write my first shitty draft. Yeah. And do you notice any shifts in your focus once you get certain things on the page and out of the way? I find that every bit of like I I am I obsessively check my word count because that to me is like. To a certain extent, I'm a little bit of a metrics-driven person. So Mm -hmm. when I sit down, I'm not sitting down for a piece of time. I'm not like I need to be here for five hours or eight hours or 10 hours. I'm just trying to say, okay, right now I'm at 15,000 words. By the end of today, I want to be at 19,000 words or Mm -hmm. I want to be at 23,000 words because I know that I need to hit probably anywhere between 75,000 and 120,000 words to be in a standard business book kind of length. And, mm-hmm. um, and I do feel a certain satisfaction, but I all, here's the shift that I'm kind of noticing. I'm, I'm going at this from the perspective of, um, I'm either going to bring this finished product to a publisher and try and get it, you know, brought through, uh, through a traditional publisher, or I'm going to self publish it, which is probably the more likely thing. And what happens is, is I'll get through a section that I thought I had a lot to say about. And I realize that I only needed about 800 words to say what I need to say about it. So mm-hmm. I'm starting to wonder, is this actually going to be a book or, or like a shorter ebook? Do it, does it need to be, you know, 200 pages? Does it need to be this big, long thing? Or, or can I just concisely say what needs to be said? Well, and I, my next question is describe your ideal reader. Cause I think that's going to inform the answer to the question that you just asked. So that's a really how good would you question. describe? Yeah. Um, Okay, so I have two answers for that because I'm never easy. The I think um, the person who's likely to read it, sort of the ideal target audience that that will most likely purchase the book and read the book and like the book, are going to be young up and coming leaders. These are people that are not yet necessarily in charge of the company, but they have upward mobility in their career track, or they're young entrepreneurs, and they they're the type that work on self-improvement and trying to make themselves better. So they are open to suggestions. They're the type of people that, you know, have read how to win friends and influence people. They're the kind of people who take courses and seminars to try and improve themselves. And this, this book will go right in line with what their philosophy is just with a little bit more of a framework for how to get there. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's probably who's going to be the target who should read it are older managers, CEOs, and executives Mm. who need to turn it around a little bit and better understand that the old ways that they were doing things or that the paradigm that they've been operating in needs to be shifted. Because so I, I didn't I don't think I've told you about what my I know I told you it's about leadership, but the book is called The Lovable Leader. And it's about my framework of being a leader in a company and why you can get everything done that any other kind of leader does. You can have, you can have people's respect. You can get things done. You can get the best out of your team. And all at the same time, you can be beloved by your team. And that they don't have to be at odds with one another. You don't have to be some draconian, fist-pounding tyrant to get people to operate at a high level. You can actually be lovable. And that not only can those two things exist, but should you be able to get them exist, you're actually going to get even more out of your people. So that's kind of the philosophy behind it. 
I'm very excited about the word choice. So the adjective lovable makes me think a little bit less in terms of masculine and traditional um, patriarchal leadership. And it makes me think more maternal and feminine. And was that a conscious choice on your part? Um, interestingly, it, I actually didn't think of it in terms of masculine or feminine or okay. paternal or anything like that, because to me, leadership is not about hierarchy at all. To me, leadership is about existing in wherever you're needed to move things forward. So I don't, um, we, we recently have been going through trying to figure out what our titles are at my company. And the struggle is that titles mean something outside of the company, but inside of the company, we're all in this together. We're in the same trench, uh, me with everybody else. There's no sort of like do as I say, you know, we all take on the role that makes the most sense. And my team um, expects me to lead them. That's that's what my job is. And as that leader, if you've ever seen Simon Sinek's Leaders Eat Last, um, I feel it's my job to protect them. And none of that is in my mind, paternal, it's more that that's just what the roles are. If you're going to be a leader, even if I wasn't the owner of the company, that's how a leader should behave. They should always be looking out for the safety of their team. They should always be, um, you know, trying to speak from the same side of the table and disagreements that we're all after the same cause. So it's interesting because it, I could frame it in paternalistic kind of thought, uh, you know, um, patriarchal. Or, no, or, I don't want you to. But so uh, I could look at it that way. But I, I tend to look at it as more like um, – I guess like cells in a body, you know, that we're all part of the same organism that's moving towards an objective and that leadership is merely just who's who's stepping up at any given time. And some people just choose to do that more often. And if you do, you have to do it in such a way where people don't resent you for it, but instead love you for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't want to be antagonistic, but I want to push you a little bit farther. When I heard the title, I felt very much included in the the type of person that could be considered a leader, whereas in the past, and still today, not in the past, today, most leaders, whether it's in the political sphere or in business sphere, it's dominated by men and women are rising. That's fine. But your book title made me feel like this is a book that I should read and that I will be represented and my skill set will not have to stuff itself into a suit. It will be able to, you know, a lot of uh, feminist philosophy around um, expansion, abundance, success is about inclusion and we can all win together and not as competitive as the more um, masculine version of like getting to the top and not risky business. What's that other movie where they all Wall Street, you know, where is it it's, Wall Street? It's more comp yeah, I think it's Wall Street. Might be Wall Street. It's Wall Street. So the, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm trying to give you a compliment. I want you to no, own I, it. Like, I, as a woman, I'm like digging it. But so the, here's the what you'll probably find interesting more about vulnerable this. Than so here's what you'll probably love about this. The the birth of the book, the the genesis of the idea came from the um, – I was driving back from Annapolis with my girlfriend who for the first time in her career really is in charge of other people and mm -hmm. she's now a manager and she was dealing with several different issues. And I, I've had a team now for several years and I've you know been a student of, of management and leadership for my entire life. These are books that I read and things I think about. And she was asking me questions on how to deal with things. 
And as a female leader dealing with a female staff and also dealing with some male superiors and all of the things that she goes through in her role, I, I'm often advising her in how to go about doing it. Understanding, of course, that it's different for her as a woman in business than it is for me as a white male in business, but that at the same time, here's how to navigate that so that we mm -hmm. can we can all be in that. And that leadership doesn't have a gender or a skin color. It has a set of ideals and it has a way of operating. So that's what our conversation you know, really revolved around, but it was a conversation with me to my girlfriend about leadership and about how she can be a better leader um, in, in her role. So it really was actually born out of not like, here's what I do, but more like, here's how you and your role can do it. You're right. I like that. That's yeah, good. I thought you might. I, well, yeah, that makes me happy. And <laughs> But I do still think that the, the title itself is very striking to me. And I think that's our first glance, that and the cover of, of who is invited into the conversation. And I am very happy that the, plus I love alliteration, but lovable leader is something that would hit people right away. Like, this is going to rock the boat. And I've been hearing more and more lately, if you don't have something different to say, you know, you're kind of regurgitating what has already been said, like the people who are really going to be the thought leaders or always have been are the ones who are saying, yeah, but this way might be better, or this is the problem I have, or this is what doesn't really work right now. We need to address it. And I really feel like you're doing that. And that's exciting to me. And I, I like the idea of a lot of different people reading it. Diversity is a really big part of my personal purpose and it's I'm starting to see how it's integrated everywhere and I hope you see that in your work too the idea that inviting more people to the table makes a richer tapestry of perspectives and makes better leaders because like you said it there's not a, a specific look or genitalia but that has been the perception for a long time so it's exciting to think about rocking the boat yeah you feel like you're rocking the boat like I, I feel like I just want to change the direction that the boat is going in and load it up with new people and give other people a chance to steer it. I, it might so, be rocking a little bit while you do which that. Which I guess though, it's right? rocking That's it. Cool. Oh, I mean, okay. I don't know. I, I mostly, you know, I, I don't, when I hire, I, I honestly don't even think about it. I just naturally do tend to hire a wider variety of people. You know, like I've had people of color in my company. I've had a lot of women. I tend to work with women more than I tend to work with men. I've been friends probably with more women in my life than men in my life. It's just kind of, I've, I've always found women easier to talk to than men. Um, but, and in this particular, you know, the concept of leadership, I've just always, I've looked at it this way. I'm going to paint leadership and entrepreneurialism in a, in a realistic brush, I'm going to say, here's how shitty it's going to look. And here's how you can be better than that anyway. And anybody mm -hmm. that wants to step up and talk about that with me, I don't care what they look like, what they sound like, what they smell like to a certain extent. Um, I'll talk to him about it because I think we need more leaders and, and I'm with you. I believe that, you know, diversity is one of the most important initiatives uh, of, of our future because um, we need a more equitable world. And I think we need a world with more empathy and you don't get empathy when you have too many people looking for the same lens. Yes. Ah, I'm so excited. I'm so excited about this book. I, my last question, this is my rapid fire question. What was the one book, even if you weren't a big reader, that you remember from your childhood? Think uh, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh grade. Oh, wow. That's such a good question. Mm -hmm. I There was this, 
It's so funny because I remember when I was like a really little kid, there was this one book that I read like seven times, but I cannot tell you what it is. I not because I'm ashamed or I don't you know want to tell you, but I literally just can't remember. Um, I was not a big reader as uh, as a youngin. It wasn't really my thing. I had a hard time focusing on books. So even comic books. You know, I didn't even get into comics until I was in my like late teens. Um, that was like kind of when my mind expanded to. I was really into movies when I was younger, but I didn't read a lot of books. Um, I can give you credit for a movie that was a book. Yeah. Not really, but let's pretend. I, I yeah. used to read screenplays. I was a big fan of no, reading screenplays. No, you didn't. That's so interesting. How do you get a hold of screenplays? Where were you finding well, they, them? It, because I went to film school. So prior to that, I started reading a lot of act, just the actual screenplays. And you can buy them. So like I was reading – like I read the screenplay to Pulp Fiction. And I, I love seeing in words how they built something visually. Ah, I want to do that. It's really That's cool. That's what I want to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, I can't think of a book that young. I can tell you the first book that made an impact on me, if that helps. Yes. If I, it, it, because the first book I remember reading that, like, kind of shifted course for me was How to Win Friends and Influence People, and I read it when I was like twenty. Um, yeah, because before that, everything you know, books were like boring and a burden. And I guess I, I read a lot of, um, I read a lot of fiction, which I guess um, I would appreciate more now than I did then. Um, but back then, it, I don't know. I just felt like I'd rather just watch the movie at that point. I guess I was lazy. I don't yeah. know. But, um, I, I feel like the book you read seven times was a choose-your-own-ending. Because my son just read one of those. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to read a Where lot of Transformers like, if you want to do books this, like that. Go to page seven. What did you say? You used I read to a lot of Transformers what? books, like you know the Transformers. <laughs> I used to read a yeah. lot of those that were choose-your-own-adventure. No, but this was yes. like about um, a kid and like an adventure, and I don't think it was – a choose your own adventure. It was just like a, a like a hundred and ten page book, and I just read it over and over and over. And it's funny because I can't remember what it is now, but the letter H is coming to me. But that's not helpful. Um, <laughs> that's not helpful. It wasn't Hardy Boys because that's what those are really. No, nah, I don't think it was Hardy Boys. I can't remember. They're new what it was. now. They have like digital devices. They're all like oh, very. Wow. You'd love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember reading. I re I used to read a lot of Stephen King, Dean Koontz, and. Oh, um, was it Ed Ed McCain or Ed Kane? Like I read a lot of like mystery, uh, murder kind of novels, things like that mm -hmm. when I was younger. And then um, it, it wasn't until I discovered nonfiction that I actually enjoyed reading. To be honest, it wasn't until I looked at like self improvement books and like you know learning how to do things. Because every time I read a book, I feel like I'm adding like a new piece of almost like a new piece of hardware that like um, to my brain. You know, where I'm like, oh, well, I have a new skill now because I now understand all of this stuff. It seems to me like you might process books in an academic, intellectual way. And when you think about fiction, that makes more sense to you in a visual platform like movies. Yep. And it's more enjoyable. I get that. Yeah. I really and I do. like reading plays for the same reason, because I like to think mm -hmm. about, you know, how it how it works out visually. Um, I also read very, very quickly. Uh, I just mm -hmm. took a speed reading course and I found out that I read between 750 and 850 words a minute. Um, wow. So I can like blast through a 200 page book in like an hour and a half basically. Um, mm -hmm. So I, when I read, I'm, I'm really looking at it as like adding information into my operating system. So it's like installing a new program. I think that's fascinating. So the idea that we are going to read your book possibly quickly would be okay with you. Yeah, totally. So I, back to like your ideal audience. It sounded, they sounded busy. Like the people you described sounded pretty busy. So yeah, I I'd like that. Um, 
that the audience that reads my book, I'd like that they could look at the table of contents every once in a while, and that would be enough to recenter them. Yeah, I was thinking about that with um, Win Friends and Influence People is the bullet point notes really helped me when I wanted to go back and just get a little reboot. Yep. I would just look at those. I wouldn't reread the whole book. And so I hope you consider doing something like that too, because that helps a lot of different types of learners. Yeah. So <laughs> each of the, it's broken down into like five parts and those parts have different kind of chapters in it. And, um, and I'm just, I think just the outline of the book itself is a lot of, you know, principles that if you remember those principles, you'll, you'll probably be a lovable leader. Um, and, and I'm going to give you one, one glimpse into it, which is the first mm-hmm. principle. The first principle of becoming a lovable leader is that mm-hmm. leadership is your responsibility, your burden, and your privilege all at once. Mm. It's all three of those things. And, and if you can't see them as all three of those things at any given time, you're going to have a very tough time being a leader because you always need to understand all three of those to be able to continue on as a leader, I think. That's, that's a lot of food for thought. And it makes me feel a shift from um, ego or power struggle or dominance, like all of those words. It just seems to slide to the slide to the left. And yeah. then in comes these other words that are way more equitable, but like different from the people you're leading the responsibility, that part. I think yeah. Really like the think. responsibility, like it's, it's something that you have to do. You, you can't escape it. And it's your burden because it's going to suck. It's not going to be cool. And then it's your privilege because the opportunity to lead people anywhere is a privilege that people would put that trust in you is something that you should always honor, which is what makes it your responsibility. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's a little bit lonely. Like that's the part of the sucking part. My dad said that as a principal, I know that right now I have an issue with a collaborative book and I don't really have anybody to talk to about it because I don't want to freak out my contributing authors and I don't know what to do about the situation, but I'm going to have to figure it out on my own. I, it's great to have collaborators who are, you can talk with, but at the end of the day, you're a leader. So you have to decide and everybody's counting on you to make a good choice for the benefit of everybody. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I'm so excited. All right. I hope this motivates you to keep writing your book. And I'm so glad that I got to ask you a few questions about all of your literary influences, even though that portion was a little bit shorter. And I'm sure that everybody's going to want to check out The Lovable Leader. So do you want to give us a teaser about a projected launch date or are you going to keep that hush-hush? Uh, I'm going to keep it hush-hush for now because I think until I get halfway through it, um, uh, or at least until I, um, I've, I've probably gotten of the five sections, like two of them are done, one of them is half done, and then two are just completely empty at the moment. Um, and I think it's not until I have at least some form of a shitty draft is a callback mm-hmm. to that. Until I have that, it would be hard to say how close I am to the finish line. Um, but I do know that I'm motivated to finish it this year. That's undoubtedly true. Um, and I know that you know the, the amount of words I already have is the product of only three sessions sitting down. So I what? write- yeah, I write it about four That's or five thousand awesome. words a clip. So, um, so it's really just a matter of me continuing to make the time and uh, you know harness the inspiration and and work with that momentum. And if I can do that, I'll I'll probably get through it pretty quickly. Um, and what I'm really excited about is what follows that. You know, once the book is out, I can't wait to go on the road and start talking to people about how to become a better leader that their people just love. 
You know, that to mm-hmm. me, because I mean, even when I got into business, the whole reason I started my company is I wanted to make business better. I just wanted to make it so that businesses respected their employees more, cared more about what their customers had to say, and that customers loved their companies for it. And they they could connect with the employees of the company. And there was just this kind of kumbaya, utopia, ice cream and unicorns type thing happening. So, um, you know, even if I could get halfway there, that would be good. That's exciting. Yeah. And, and having a projected date is important, at least to say this year. So on behalf of all of your future readers who are patiently, not so patiently waiting for the lovable leader, um, keep going. Think of us and remember that it's just one step after another and you turn around and be done with the shitty first draft. And then you get to do I always call that painting the room where you're in your paint clothes and it's messy and yep. it smells bad and whatever. And then the the editing part is so fun because you get to bring the furniture and you get to hang the pictures on the wall and you get to see and both portions are really important of course like you can't have a nicely decorated room without those painted walls and you don't get to have the joy of rearranging the furniture and really figuring out the aesthetic of it all until you have those walls nice and dry so i'm excited that you are sharing the painting of the wall portion, because sometimes we get this feeling like we only ever hear from people after they're done and they have this global perspective and having the conversation while you're still in the process of banging it out and you're still in the process of figuring out um, what your writing rituals are going to be or how you're going to make it a priority in the midst of all these other really important things in your life. Anybody who's listening can, can kind of vibe off of what you're saying and know that you can still get back in the game anytime you want. Every day is a new day and creating that space, like you were saying earlier, to have 14-hour <laughs> writing sessions is, is going to make it happen. And the last thing I wanted to say was um, I do often counsel people that they get to, to do the work, do the healing, do the growth when they're writing the book, and they get to say their part, and then you're going to brace yourself because you're going to be facilitating a lot of conversations where people are talking about you and about what you said, and it feels really different. It feels like, and this is totally in alignment with your leadership philosophy, where instead of you being front and center, you you share the stage with a lot of people who are processing this new paradigm that you're presenting. And even if it's not new, it's not um, dominant. So you're you're presenting a paradigm that might be refreshing and um, previously in the shadows prevalent. In some places, but not everywhere. Yeah, well, I'm, uh, I'm, I think consciously trying to uh, not think too, too much about that because okay. I've seen some, some nasty book reviews out there, and I'm like, oh God, please don't tear me apart. <laughs> oh, if the worst thing is, oh, welcome it. Just if, just in your head, say if the worst thing is you have those terrible reviews, you're not going to die. Yeah. And and I kind of like, but that's, I'm a little twisted. I'm always like, if somebody says they hate it and I'm an idiot, and I just said that to myself, and I'm like, okay. That's I totally I say this to people all the time. I totally respect your right to not like me. That's yeah. great. And it relieves this huge burden off of me to be likable. I, I think I'm fairly likable. You're but, extremely okay. likable. <laughs> but if people don't like me, I respect that. I mean, they have the right to their own opinion. And I attract my tribe to me. I don't chase after folks. Goodness. That's embarrassing. So, all right. It was great having you on. I am delighted that we have been connected by our friend Doug Sandler, and I'm excited to keep conversing with you on a variety of topics in the future. Does that sound good to you? Sounds phenomenal. Thanks so much for having (laughs) me on the show today. All right. Take care. And everybody remember, check out the lovable leader in the foreseeable future. Double alliteration. Boom.
Boom. Thank you.